exhaustion, and a growing realisation that the scale of her failure weigh down on Mina Montessario. Only one thought keeps her trudging across the city as a fine rain begins to fall. Sanctuary. That desire for safety, for refuge, drives her on, up endless steps as she climbs the abandoned bell tower. Though her legs can barely carry her, she reaches the top. Her workshop. The rookery. Home. The door swings open, and she finds herself face to chest with an immense tattooed slab of a man. Before she can react, she's gripped by the arm and manoeuvred into a chair, hands resting gently but firmly on her shoulders. The man who turns to face her is utterly bland in appearance, a man with an eminently forgettable face. The visitor smiles and says, Philomena Cassandra Montessario, so delighted you could join us. I come to you with an offer you simply can't refuse. Hello, and welcome to The Lone Adventurer, an actual play solo RPG podcast with me, Carl White. I will be your narrator, your game master, and your guide as we follow our hero, Mina Montessario, on her journey into the unknown. For this game, I will be using the D&D 5th edition ruleset, as well as a variety of other systems, tools, and tables as they take my fancy. The adventure continues. Last time on The Lone Adventurer. Mina Montessario escaped a machine cultist airship by setting it on fire, having crept on board and discovering they were carrying a highly explosive cargo. The airship duly exploded, setting fire to a poor quarter of the city of Kairos, known as the Spot. The cultists pursued her through the city streets, intent on bloody revenge, and Mina barely escaped with her life. But with her mission so badly botched, will her own spymaster be any more forgiving than the cultists? Before we begin, I'd like to revisit the chase scene from Chapter 1. The DMG does contain chase rules, but frankly, I think they suck. So I went hunting again online and found something that I quite liked. It looked pretty good on paper, and overall it worked out okay, but after running the chase in practice, I think I'd definitely apply some tweaks ahead of running another chase. As ever, details of that are in the show notes. With all that said, the scene ended up a real nail-biter to play, and for me personally, really enjoyable. I'd expected it to lean pretty firmly in Mina's direction, given that her plus three constitution bonus gave her a full three rounds where her foes ran the risk of picking up levels of exhaustion before she started to have to make any checks. But as it turned out, the cultists succeeded on all three of their initial checks, and then, on her first attempt in the following round, Mina failed hers. She failed again the round after that, by which point things were really starting to look a little wobbly. I tried to bring things back on track by burning a hero point, but that roll failed too. And then, the exact same thing happened in the following round. 
Eventually, a combination of the cultists hitting four levels of exhaustion against Mina's three and a few lucky ability checks at disadvantage won the day. But it was genuinely touch and go there for a while and a really good reminder of both Mina's fragility and the nastiness of the 5e exhaustion rules. Could Mina have taken all seven cultists in a straight fight? Well, statistically the odds would have been with her, but there would equally have been a very real chance of her getting taken down, plus running away felt like the right thing to do narratively. Regardless, Mina survived her baptism of fire, and her reward is to rise to level 2. That will take her to 38 hit points, remember I'm doubling her HP because we're playing with her as a solo character instead of as a full party, and it also grants her an important class feature, Infuse Item. She can now effectively turn her gear into magic items, which will come into play in this session. During the race, I took the opportunity to introduce a couple of flashback scenes. I was keen here to shed some light on the events that led up to Chapter 1, and so I asked the GM emulator several questions. Having established that someone had sent her on this mission, I asked a description question to find out who, and I got the answer, foolishly flawless. Rather than a fool, the image that came to my mind was one of an utterly controlled, competent Mandarin. I've got a picture in my head of Charles Dance as Lord Veterinary. It's often best with these mythic prompts to follow the instinctual associations when they strike rather than trying to interpret the prompts too literally. Another GME response revealed that explosives were on board the airship, and for that one I used my knowledge of the game world to infer that this was infernal powder. This stuff is pretty important in the game world, and to Mina personally, as we'll see shortly. At the end of the session I was left with two tasks. Firstly, I updated my thread and character lists. When a random event occurs, those events can link to one of those random threads or characters, which can introduce some really unexpected twists to the game. For threads, I had Pursued by Cultists, Fire in the Spot, Explosion in the Sky, and In Trouble with the Spymaster. And for characters, I had Machine Cultists and The Whisperer. Secondly, I needed to update the chaos factor. Although Mina succeeded in eventually escaping her enemies, I think it's fair to say she was never in control of that scene, given that she spent pretty much all of it running for her life and watching the fire that she started consume a whole city quarter. The chaos factor therefore rises from 6 to 7. With all my housekeeping done, it's time for our next scene. Who the hell are you? Mina snaps. And what do you want? Perhaps it's the tiredness, or the misery, or the byproduct of an extended period of adrenal overload, but despite the obvious danger, Mina feels no fear. Instead, she just feels irritated. This place is hers. It's sacrosanct, and, so she thought, secret. The presence of these strangers is an invasion, and one that she bitterly resents. So direct. No, please don't hurt me. No, my life savings are at the strong box under the loose floorboard. No? Ah, very well. Let us cut, as they say, to the chase. We have been watching you, my colleagues and I, for some little time now. Do you know what we see? 
Mina just glowers at the visitor, but she begins to get a sinking feeling. This is no simple break-in or shakedown. This is bad. She can feel it. We see a disgraced scion of a great, if declining, house turned to a life of espionage. We see one of the whisperers, little whispers, about to run out of chances. We see her handed one last lifeline, and we see her spectacularly blow up that final chance for all the city to see. If the whisperer sent you to kill me, I'd rather you just got on with it. I've had a very long day, Mina answers, surprising herself with her own bravado. Oh no, Miss Montessario, you quite misunderstand. I do not work for the whisperer. He leans in close and whispers in her ear, I'm the competition. Mina can't help herself. Her jaw drops. A rival house? But how is that possible? How can they possibly know all this? Who are these people that can see into the heart of House Montessario's most secret organisation, who know so much about her? Ah, I see I have your full attention. Yes, we know all, we see all, and, as they say, knowledge is power. You, Miss Montessario, find yourself at a precipice. Your mission tonight ended poorly, I think it's fair to say, and you wonder how the Whisperer will react. I'd say, best case, you're out of a job. Worst case, a month from now a pipe runner finds your decomposing remains clogging up one of the underpipes. Nina can't disagree with the assessment, but a flame of defiance still burns. So you came to have a good bloat? Well, mission accomplished, so off you sod. I need my beauty sleep if I'm to die in the morning. Want to look my best? The visitor's smile broadens. Aye, what spirit? And, of course, we shall be leaving you to your well-earned rest, momentarily. But I would be remiss in leaving without presenting the offer I spoke of. He picks up a manila folder from Mina's writing desk and presents it to her. The offer is a simple one. When you report back to the Whisperer, in addition to anything else you say, present him with this. Inform him that you found it aboard the airship. A simple task, I'm sure you'll agree, and in return, you will find your troubles evaporate. The excesses of your mission shall be outweighed by the quality of the intelligence you were able to recover. Now, a final word of warning, and then we shall be out of your hair. You may find yourself tempted to inform your spymaster of what transpired between us here tonight. Let me dissuade you most strenuously from that course of action. As I hope I have made amply clear, we have visibility of everything that transpires within the walls of House Montessario. Should you attempt to betray us, we will know of it. And the consequences for that betrayal would be dire, both for you and for your house. Remember, knowledge is power. He stands, brushing dust from his trousers, and looks around the workshop. Papers covered in scribbled notes and half-constructed pieces of eldritch machinery litter the various workbenches. 
Chains and collections of metal parts hang from the rafters. There are tools everywhere. The visitor wrinkles his nose and says, I do hate to be a critic, Miss Montessario, but would it really kill you to tidy up a little in here? Mina merely stares back at him, too dumbstruck to respond. The visitor gestures to his hulking companion. Come, Alphonse, I think we have outstayed our welcome. He offers a short bow. Good night to you, Miss Montessario. Mina, slumped in her chair, does not move for a long, long time. Wow. Well, <laughs> what do you do when your hero is down and very nearly out? Kick them harder, obviously. Poor Mina, I had not seen that one coming. Now, I'd expected this scene to be a simple return home, an intro to her base of operations, and some scene setting ahead of introducing her level 2 abilities. I did not anticipate the introduction of a rival house, or the lean into the inter-house espionage side of things, and above all, I'd not expected Mina to get in even deeper trouble than she was already in. This all happened as a result of my scene being altered at the start. For each new scene, you roll a d10. If the result is even and below the current chaos factor, then the scene is interrupted somehow. If the result is odd and below the chaos factor, then the scene is altered. For altered scenes, you imagine the most logical alteration. I assumed the workshop had been disrupted somehow in Mina's absence. Perhaps an alchemical explosion, or a burglary, or perhaps someone had left her a note. To find out, I asked if someone had been there and the answer I got was exceptional yes. That suggested to me that the person, whoever they were, was still there. Then I asked, was it the Whisperer? And I rolled 100. An exceptional no. That suggested a rival, and a few more questions fleshed out who this rival was and what they wanted. This all obviously places Mina in an incredibly difficult position. She's damned whatever she does. And right now, honestly, I'm not sure what she's going to do next. But I won't be using the mythic GM to find out. As in a traditional RPG, anything on the player side of the table is Mina's, or my, choice to make. So instead of worrying about that right now, after that last very roleplay heavy scene, let's turn to implementing some game mechanics. I mentioned that Mina gets the Infuse Item class feature at level 2, and the plan is to touch on how she implements that ability in the next scene. Assuming, of course, that the Mythic GM doesn't have other plans in store for me. I plan to use two infusions, Repeating Shot and Replicate Magic Item. Hopefully, if my GM doesn't throw a spanner in the works, we'll get to see how those are used. This is one of the beauties of solo RPGs. In a group game, everyone needs to share the spotlight and so has limited time to dive into their background, their characters in a life, or their class abilities. That's not true in solo. You can explore all of that stuff to your heart's content. And because all of that stuff is the player purview, it doesn't require any mythic roles. Like any player, I get to make this stuff up 
without questions, things then don't risk spiralling off into unpredictable places quite so much, which can be quite useful if I want to seize control of the narrative for a short period. I'm also going to let Mina have a long rest. She desperately needs it, both in the narrative and in the game mechanics. Three levels of exhaustion in 5e is no joke. I've added the mysterious visitor, as well as his lackey, Alphonse, to my character list, and inter-house espionage to my threads list. Obviously, Mina was even further out of control in that last scene, so going to the next one, the chaos factor rises once more to eight. Mina wakes at first light and gets to work. First, she takes down a small, hinged square of metal, ornately carved with elaborate symbols from a cluttered shelf. Using a set of delicate tools, she makes minute adjustments to mechanisms embedded in the metal's surface, and the symbols suddenly glow with a bright green light. She begins to manipulate the object. Unfolding it once transforms the square into a cube, and unfolding it once more transforms it, impossibly, into a cube four times the size. She opens the lid, and then begins to gather all manner of paperwork and equipment from around her workshop, placing one thing after another into the box, far beyond its actual capacity to hold. At one point, she unhooks a large collection of connected, worked metal parts, clearly far too large to fit in the box. Regardless, in it goes. At last, the place is stripped bare, save for a sorry-looking sleeping pallet and an assortment of furniture in various states of disrepair. She looks around, attempting to maintain that single-minded focus that has carried her through so far. But seeing the workshop like this, so empty, so soulless, this is too much. The rookery, her home, is no more. She feels her control slipping. Furiously rubbing at her eyes with her sleeve, she takes a long, deep breath and drags her sleeping pallet to one side. Then she pulls up the loose floorboard, and heart in her mouth feels for the iron strongbox she knows should be there. There it is. She pulls it free and takes several seconds before she dares to unlock it. She stares at the contents for a long time without moving, and then, at last, removes a single cloth-bound object and places the strongbox in with the rest of her belongings. She folds the magical box down until it is a single flat square of metal and tucks it into a coat pocket. Unwrapping the object reveals a pistol fashioned of brass and mahogany, her father's ceremonial gun, awarded after the Battle of Lothlande. The crest of House Montessario is intricately carved into the stock, and filigree adorns the lock and the barrel. Beautiful weapon, but a clumsy weapon, Mina thinks. Clumsier even than her hated crossbow, slow to reload and with limited range or accuracy, and of no use whatsoever without the addition of infernal powder. But if one were to have infernal powder, and the mechanical and arcane skills to enhance the weapon? She 
she pulls a pouch from a coat pocket, one she filled from a barrel aboard the airship, and sprinkles a small pinch of the scarlet powder into the firing mechanism. Then she begins to work, and when she finishes some time later, the pistol's barrel is covered in glowing purple symbols. Going to the window, she takes careful aim and fires. The strength of the recoil surprises her, but the shot is true. Fully 90 feet away, the bell of an adjacent tower clangs with the impact. She turns, smiling. Still a little fine-tuning to do, perhaps, but good enough for now. She pushes the pistol through her belt, and then comes to a halt as her eyes fall on the manila folder. Throughout the morning, she has avoided the thing. She has yet even to open it. It has come to represent everything that has gone wrong in her life. That encompasses a lot more than the last 24 hours, but things have really escalated fast at the end there. She has no conscious plan, as she's been gathering her equipment and clearing her workshop. She's made no decision about what to do next. She just knows that this place is compromised and that she has to leave. But where to go? And what to do? Should she do as the visitor asks and feed false intelligence to the Whisperer? Or should she tell the Whisperer all and damn the consequences? Neither option seems better than the other. They're both dreadful. Despite her difficulties with House Montessario and her diminished status in its hierarchy, she cannot bring herself to betray her father's memory so utterly. Who knows what the repercussions of this doctored information might be, what trap might be laid for her house. Admitting all to the Whisperer seems an equally bad option. If there was a risk he might dispose of her after last night's fiasco with the airship, what better chance does she stand by admitting that she's a wholly compromised asset? And what could she tell him anyway? She doesn't even know who her enemy is or which faction is moving against House Montessario. It'll probably just sound like she's trying to deflect attention from her own mistakes. And that's not even considering the visitor's quite credible threat. If he has such insight into the heart of the Whisperer's organisation, what chance does she have? There's only one option, she realises. The third path one she walks alone. She must rely on her own wits and resources now, even if it means she is pursued by both her former employer and her newfound foe. Without the support of her house, she must learn the truth. Why those machine cultists were carrying that infernal powder, and how has this visitor penetrated so deeply into the heart of House Montessario? Perhaps then she can find redemption in her house. The visitor said it himself. Knowledge is power. Well, it's time she took some power back. She takes the folder, tucking it away for later. Perhaps she can find some clue to the visitor's identity within. As she's about to leave, a thought occurs to her. She takes a moment to scribble a brief note, which she leaves in the middle of the floor. It reads tidy enough for you. Then, closing the door gently behind her, she's gone. 
You have been listening to The Lone Adventurer, a solo RPG podcast played, written, and performed by me, Carl White. If you've enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a five-star review on iTunes or telling your friends. It really is a huge help. You can find show notes at theloneadventurer.podbean.com. I'll include any links mentioned there, as well as my interactions with the Mythic GM emulator and any other mechanics information. Green's story will continue in the next episode of The Lone Adventurer. Thank you for listening.